Welcome to Any Visitors Amongst Us. My name is Mike, pastor here at St. Andrews. It's a joy to have you with us today. And you are joining us in part two of a series, this term, looking at the message of the cross. So we just kicked it off last week. And just as a reminder, because uh, I know last week seemed like so long ago, uh, two main objectives to this series. Firstly, uh, I want us to hear how the Bible, how God explains Jesus's death on the cross. Uh, because it does it in several ways. And these explanations of the cross, they all build on each other. They all overlap. But they help us understand this most important of events for our relationship with God. I said this last week, and I'll probably say it again. If we get this part wrong, uh, we're probably going to get pretty much everything else wrong as well. Uh, secondly, I want us to think about how these explanations of the cross equip us to tell others about Jesus uh, now we have to understand how they apply to us first, but the consequence of them is that they prepare us to make Jesus known to others. Two objectives to this series. And our reading today is from Colossians 2, 2 verses 13 to 15. And there we read, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is God's word to us. And I want to start this morning, actually, with uh, a story. Uh, a story about one of the heroes of the faith, a Kiwi hero of the faith. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, usually known as Te Manahira, or his his birth name was Potama. Any of you heard of him? One or two. Uh, Te Manahira was from Ngāti Rānui, South Taranaki, and he had a busy life, or it started out quite busy. As a boy, uh, he was abducted or captured not once, but twice. I mean, that's busy, isn't it? But it was through being captured and being moved around uh, the North Island that he crossed paths with the Reverend Walter Laurie, who rescued him. And by rescued, I mean bought. Uh, we don't entirely know the whole story, but there is certainly the suggestion that he was bought for a handful of biscuits. Interesting times, eh? Where a handful of biscuits can buy you someone's freedom. I just think that's astounding, and this was our country. But after spending time with the Lori family, um, Potama uh, was baptized where he took the name Timanahira. This was his baptismal name, sort of a common thing to do. And his name, Timanahira, his baptismal name that he took, it's uh, very heartfelt. I hope you get that in a moment, but it's sort of amusing as well because it's a Maori name, Tereo name. But it's actually the Tureo name that was given to a Pākehā missionary. Um, but he took it, um, and, you know, it's very heartfelt. His faith was real. And to Manahira, uh, he went back to his people. Uh, he got married there. He worked there under the Reverend Richard Taylor. And by worked, he worked uh, as, a, as a minister of the gospel. 
And it was while working there amongst his people that Te Manahira felt compelled to take the gospel out to other Māori. He made the statement that the, the missionaries, the Pakeha missionaries, had crossed oceans to bring the gospel to them. It was their job to pick it up and to take it to the rest of the Māori people. And for him, uh, this started actually with his enemies, Ngāti Tuwharatoa. Uh, these two tribes had been had a long history of being enemies, and it was relatively recent history, like just in the past few years, that uh, a raiding party from Nati Tuwharatoa had had come over and attacked them. And this raiding party had been captured, as the story goes, captured, and then several of them were killed, which was not the done thing. Uh, and so this called for Utu. This called for revenge. But it was with this knowledge that Timanahira set out with a friend for his tribe's enemies to try and make peace with them and to take the gospel to them. And it was while on the way there, March 1847, uh, that they were ambushed by a, a group from their enemy tribe and killed. Uh, his friend died instantly with a, a gunshot to the head. Uh, but Timanahiri actually died later that day of his wounds. Now we need to be clear here. Uh, they weren't killed for their faith. That's not why they were killed. They weren't killed because they were Christians. Uh, they were killed because of revenge, revenge between these two tribes. But let's be under no misunderstanding that they died for their faith. It was their faith that took them to go to their enemies. And it was on the way there that they were killed. And this seems like a very bleak story, doesn't it? Uh, and it is. It is. And their people back at Ngāti Rānui wanted revenge for their deaths. Some of them did. And the Reverend Taylor there had to restrain them. Uh, and instead they decided to honour Tamanahira's dream, his faith, and to seek peace. And incredibly, that happened. Not straight away, but it happened. Sometime later, actually, representatives from Ngāti Tuwharatoa, including the person who had murdered Timanahira, came to Rāti, Nā, sorry, Ngāti Rānui, and as we would say, the hatchet was buried. And the Reverend Taylor records that it was Timanahira's murderer himself in that setting, who proposed that a missionary should be sent to his place, his people, and that he would be given a, a suitable spot, be given land, there to erect a church and a mission house. And that happened. Isn't that incredible? The gospel compels us, compels us to seek peace and to seek reconciliation, to seek a right relationship. And even, even when it is killed, God was still at work, wasn't he? God was still at work. This is our story, one of the stories of our land. This is the story of a Christian brother, Christian brothers going out and doing this. We should know their story. We should hold on to their story. Because one of the greatest messages of the cross is that we need forgiveness. All of us. Everyone. The cross tells us that something isn't right. 
All of the brokenness we experience in our relationships and in this world, they are symptoms of our ultimate brokenness with God. That as I told the kids this morning, we haven't loved him as we should. And this flows over to our relationships with each other. We haven't loved them as we should either. But the cross does more than point out the problem. It does more than point out our need. It also tells us that God has answered it. He has stepped into our brokenness all the way into it, as into it as you can get, and taken it upon himself. He's dealt with it. He's forgiven us. Incredibly, he's forgiven us. And I have three points today. Firstly, our forgiveness is all of God. The cross is his design, his action, his doing. It's all of his doing, uh, but we benefit from it. You benefit from it. Secondly, our forgiveness is costly and complete. Forgiveness is more than words. God's forgiveness is more than words to you. It's more than feelings. Forgiveness has a price, and God has paid it. He's paid it with himself. And lastly, our forgiveness, the work of the cross, is God's triumph, God's victory, and our good news for this world. Look, we might have many good things to share with this world, but nothing, nothing is as incredible as this news. This is God's triumph. This is his victory. And it is a victory he calls us into. It is a victory that includes you, and this is the good news we have to take out to this world. Let's get into it. So firstly, our forgiveness is all of God. And did you notice uh, with these verses, who does everything? You know where I'm going here, but let me point it out to you. When you were dead in your sins, you, me, dead in our sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us. He condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now that's all great, but what does that mean for us? And the the big thing it means for us is that That really, you have nothing to do with your forgiveness. You can contribute nothing to your forgiveness. Well, except the sin that required it. Your forgiveness does not depend on you. It never did, and it never will. Let me ask you, the story of the cross, God entering our world, living amongst us, and then choosing to go to a cross and die. Is that a solution you would have thought of? I know it's not one I would have thought of. And in fact, none of Jesus' closest friends, the disciples who spent three years with him, none of them saw it coming. None of it until after the fact. It was only then in the light of it that it made sense to it. Then it explained all that Jesus had said to them and all that the Old Testament had said. No one saw it coming. No, the very idea of the cross was God's and no one, no one consciously helped him do it with any idea of what he was doing. And why do I labor that? 
Well, Pilate, the judge who condemned Jesus, didn't know he was fulfilling part of God's plan. The religious leaders who who rallied against Jesus and racked up the crowd to cry out, crucify him, they didn't know that they were fulfilling God's plan even as they did the wrong thing. The soldiers who nailed Jesus to the cross and who cast lots for Jesus' clothes, they didn't know that they were fulfilling prophecy said long ago. And the point of all of this is that our forgiveness relies completely on God. No one helped him. No one. It doesn't rely on us. We, as Paul said, were dead in our sins. We were unable to save ourselves. But God has done it. He has saved us. He has made us alive by going to the cross and dying in our place. And this speaks of how incredible God's offer to us is. It is completely his doing. None of it is accidental. None of it is coincidental. It is all God's doing. And this frees us up to do one thing. One thing. If you contribute nothing, and if you can't do anything, there's really just one option. Will you respond or not? But that's it. Will you respond or not? Will you receive it or not? Because a dead person cannot do anything to make themselves alive. And neither can we. You know, in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, the prodigal son goes to a distant land, leaves his father. And twice in that parable, the father says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The one thing that son had to do was come home, was respond. He couldn't do anything to make himself right with his dad. Nothing. And that parable speaks of God's desire to have his wayward people for himself, doesn't it? And so does the cross. The cross, more than anything else, speaks of this desire to have wayward people for himself. But will we respond? Don't have anything else to do, just will we respond? It's all of God's doing. It's not of our doing. It is God who wants us back for himself, and it is he who has made the way for us. Your forgiveness is all, all of God. We just have to respond. Secondly, our forgiveness is costly and complete, and I want to lean into this one for a moment because this gets at the heart of the cross and why it's necessary for you. Forgiveness today, I think, is generally understood as something you say. That's often how we express it and experience it. Uh, when you know you've, you've done the wrong thing, you know, you've broken a relationship in some way, uh, you go and you, you ask for forgiveness. You apologize. I did the wrong thing. Will you forgive me? And the other side offers forgiveness. Now, that is true of the cross, but it massively, it hugely understates it. It misses, misses the justice 
of our forgiveness. Let me explain. In the cross, God doesn't just verbally forgive us and say we're forgiven. No, he pays for our forgiveness with Jesus' life. The aim of the cross is to make us alive, to forgive us for our sins, to clear them away, or to pick up on another example Paul uses here, to circumcise our flesh. I don't think, I don't think this is a wild guess, that I need to explain what circumcision is. I'm not going to either way. But the idea behind circumcision is that something is literally chopped off to mark you as God's. That that was the idea behind it. So when Paul says that we are dead in our sins and the uncircumcision, uncircumcision of our flesh, what he means is that all of us have bodies. We all have a sinful nature that aren't circumcised. They aren't God's. They aren't inclined towards God. Our flesh, our nature is inclined away from God. We all do it, all of us. We're always sinning against him. Now, in the cross, what happened? Jesus is cut off. He is cut off that we might have a spiritual circumcision, that we might receive a righteousness, a right standing with God that is not our own. Whether we are a man or woman, it doesn't matter. In Jesus, we can gain a spiritual circumcision that's far better than anyone done to the exterior of our bodies. We become gods because Jesus was cut off in our place. And this is a real thing. This is not just words. This is something that happened. There was a physical swapping, a physical taking of our place, and this This is what our forgiveness rests on. And this is why Paul also talks in verse 14 about having a charge against us, a legal indebtedness before God. Like our sinful flesh, our sinful natures, which we can't get rid of ourselves or replace with a new one, we can't clear our debt of sin before God either. Our sin is like a criminal charge against us. And you know what? After seven years, it it doesn't get expunged. It's not the way it works. It doesn't matter how different our sins are or whether we have a long charge sheet or a short one compared to the person sitting next to us. The consequence is the same for all of us. Before God, we're dead. We're all dead men and women walking. We are in broken relationships with God, whether we know it or not. But God tells us that in the cross, God has taken our charge. He has taken our debt of sin. And what did he do with it? He nailed it to the cross. He canceled it in Jesus' body. In Jesus' death, your death is dealt with. And this is why our forgiveness is costly and complete. It cost God the life of his son. He he didn't have anything more to pay. Nothing. It cost God his most treasured possession. He has nothing greater to give. And as horrific as that seems on one hand, God, you would give your most treasured possession? It speaks to us of the horrendous reality of sin to God. He he can't just ignore it. 
He can't just overlook it. He can't. It is horrendous to him. But he will deal with it. He will deal with it to gain you. He will. He will put everything on the line to gain you. And he'll do it because he knows you can't. He knows I can't. He knows none of us can. He will deal with it even though it costs him everything. But it is done. It is cancelled. Wiped out. Paid in full. It is And I say this because we should never, never cheapen God's forgiveness. As if it's just words, just something he's overlooking. Yes, yes, when we talk to people, say, God forgives you, because he does. But it's based on a price, the ultimate price. Give them that confidence as well. It's not a question about it. It happened. The price has been paid. And God paid it himself. And lastly, our forgiveness is God's triumph and our good news for this world. This focuses on verse 15 where Paul says a a surprising thing, a a backwards thing about Jesus' cross. Paul describes it, Jesus' cross, as disarming the powers and authorities. He describes it as making a public spectacle of them. Paul, I'm pretty sure that's what they were doing of Jesus. And he describes it as a triumph, which, let's be honest, someone being hung on a cross and dying seems like the opposite of that. Jesus' story was that he was arrested, he was chained, he was beaten, he was falsely accused, He was abandoned by his friends. He was tortured. And then he was killed. Where is the good news of any of that? Where is the triumph in that? But Jesus' resurrection shows us what the cross truly accomplished. You know, those who judged Jesus as a blasphemer, who raised him up on a cross as an example of a rebel, and who had him crushed, crushed to death, Uh, they were the ones, they were the ones he defeated. Oh, they made a spectacle of him, but he, he is the one who would make a spectacle of them. Because if you can take the most deadly blow of your enemy and then rise up and turn them into your friends, I'm pretty sure you've won. And that is what God has done in Jesus. He has disarmed sin and death. Disarmed them. Sin and death can bite me, but they do not get the last word, praise God. He has foiled his enemies. He has foiled Satan, and he has turned their seeming victory into defeat and into our victory. You know, the background to this verse is that Roman armies, when they went and conquered a land... They would take the treasured possessions. They would take the people of that land and they would take them home and march them in a procession into their home city. 
And whoever led that battle would be at the front of it, and behind them would come all all of the, the treasures from this distant land, this distant country that they've conquered, and then would come the slaves. And think about it, what better way to show that you have conquered them, that you have won? Here are their treasured possessions, here are their very lives. And Paul is saying that in the cross, God has done this with us. With us. We are his triumph. That even though we might have been enemies, he would conquer us, he would win us for himself, and he would lead us in a triumphal position. We are his treasured possession. We are the people he came for. And thankfully, he's got us. Brothers and sisters, your forgiveness is all, all of God. It didn't depend on you yesterday. It doesn't depend on you today, and it won't tomorrow. Your forgiveness is costly, so costly. But in the cross of Jesus, it's also complete. It's done. God has done it. And your forgiveness is God's triumph and your good news, our good news to take out to this world. I pray that we would be like Timanahira. I pray that we would. I mean, this is where we are. That we would take this good news out to the people God has placed us amongst. Look, whether they're just the people who don't like us, whether they're our enemies, whether they're literally just our neighbors and they live around us. They need to hear it. They need to know it. And the thing is, if we will have faith like Timanahira, what might God do? Because he's really, really good at redeeming bad situations, isn't he? That even when his people are cut down, he's going to build his kingdom. He's going to see churches pop up. He's going to claim people for himself. He's going to take people who were his enemies and turn them into his sons and daughters, just as he has done with us. But what are we going to do with this today? Well, really, there's sort of only a few things we can do. He's done it all, so we need, we need to respond. We need to respond. And if there is something for us to get on our knees and to say sorry to God for, then we need to do it. We do. We also need to be prepared to forgive ourselves. Do you remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Forgive us our trespasses, what? As we forgive those who trespass against us. We have to be a people that if we know what God has done for us, we're going to do it for others. It's actually not optional. It's not. I mentioned Timanahira today, but we can go and read stories about like Corey Ten Boom. Someone whose sister died 
in a concentration camp. And then as she was speaking about God's forgiveness, a guard from that very same concentration camp would come up to her and hold out his hand saying, I know God forgives me, but I'd like to hear it from you. She didn't take his hand straight away. Would any of us? She did eventually. And lastly, would we make God's triumph knowing this is a broken world, isn't it? I'm understating things here. I'm saying it too quickly. Far too quickly. It is a broken world and it needs some good news. And we have some incredible news. We can go out and help people and we should. We should show God's kindness and generosity, but we also have the most incredible news in the world to make known to them God wants them for himself. In all of their brokenness and mess, he wants them for himself and he's done it all just as he has with you and I. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I would never ever have thought of it in a thousand lifetimes, but you did it. It was your plan to seek us out, to come amongst your enemies, to come all the way down and to humble yourself. Yes, taking our form, but then going so far as to take our death, to take our sin. What a wonder this is. And when you say we are yours and that we are forgiven It's too good to be true, and yet, amazingly, it is. Oh God, we need to see your son's cross. We need to see the cross, that you have done it. You've done it. Despite the fact it shouldn't be done, you have done it. You've borne it. You've borne it to claim us for yourself, to have us as your sons and daughters. And we delight in that today. We revel in it. We give thanks for it. Oh, the relief. And yet, Lord, we know that there is still sin within us, things that do not belong in our lives. And yes, Lord, we repent of those. We look to you trusting in your grace and mercy that it held us yesterday and it will hold us today and it will hold us all the way until we see you face to face. And Lord, I pray that where there are people here today where they have been wronged, terribly wronged, that they would know your great mercy to them and that they would take that mercy out to those people, those people who, who are their enemies, and that they would show, they would make known your grace and your favor there. And that all of us, all of us as we get out into this world, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, wherever you take us, that we are your people, your ambassadors for your glory. May we take your good news out until we see your kingdom come. 
and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in and through the name of your Son, our Saviour. Amen. Amen.